Hi, welcome to Unleash Ministries podcast, where Pastor Nathan Sanford will guide us through daily Bible studies, prophetic revelations, and life-changing encounters with the Father's love. Join us for near daily content as we dive into the Word of God. Everybody, so welcome back to this is Hebrews chapter six, and it's weird because even though this is like kind of a small chapter, like it's not super long, it's probably one of the most like hotly debated. People use it for all kinds of weird things, like scripture, <laughs> almost like in the whole Bible. In fact, people oftentimes will go to this scripture for the whole: Can a Christian lose their salvation? like whole question, which is a really, really weird question. And one of these days, I'll actually just go ahead and give a teaching on like that question. Not Because honestly, it's just a strange question. Like we have this whole debate, like can a Christian lose their salvation after they have it? Like, like you lose your car keys or can they just like flat out refuse it once God gives it to them? I mean, it's just a really strange question. And it's a very Western question to ask. It's like a very... It's because we've distorted and misunderstood and misapplied basically the entire gospel that we would even think to ask such a question. So anyway, I um, we're going to get into this scripture and hopefully it'll it should be very, very obvious to you if you've listened to all five chapters so far, because we're actually reading the whole Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we're right now we're in Hebrews, and I just um, we're, we're going through it not super slowly, but not super quickly either. We're trying to do at least a fair job without you know crazily focusing on one verse. Although obviously you can totally do that because the Word of God is like packed full of amazing stuff. But but I wanted to do it in such a way that you could just absorb the Word of God, go back, listen to it again, have it pour over you. So both reading the whole thing and also stopping to try and go over some specific elements. So. Anyway, um, right now I'm just kind of reeling a little bit because I know that we just had this massively tragic school. Sh- well, every school shooting is tragic. And as someone who was about 20 minutes from Columbine when it occurred and who had to spend months and months trying to counsel and help and be there for um, dozens and I guess maybe hundreds over that period of time, teenagers who were reeling from that event that occurred at their school or near their school Um, And I had some in my own youth group that I spent lots of time with. Any school shooting always kind of rocks home with me and usually does one of, well, it does two things. Uh, It devastates me again and my heart aches. And then the next thing that happens is compassion and love and a rising up of, of almost a righteous anger in the father's love to want to see these things righted and changed. So Um, Anyway, I'm going to get into Hebrews chapter six, but I'm just warning you ahead of time that that's kind of like my emotional state right now. So if I get kind of emotional or or say something crazy, like you have to (laughs) forgive me because um, dealing with this kind of stuff is is not easy for me. It's a difficult thing. So uh, which I understand that it is for everyone. Um, But again, someone who was uh, in the midst of Columbine as a 23 year old youth pastor trying to put kids' hearts and lives back together was Um, you know, it marked me, it marked me in a few ways. So anyway, let's just jump right into this. So again, remember the writer of Hebrews is really concerned about the Jewish people he is writing to who live around Rome 
and he's concerned about them because they're afraid of persecution from the Romans. And so what they're doing is basically hybridizing the covenants. So they're basically saying, like, we want to keep all our old Jewish ways, and we'll just sort of throw Jesus on top of it. And basically what you're dealing with is mixing works with faith. So they were basically like, let's keep on doing our works. Let's keep on having our sacrifices for forgiveness of sins. Let's keep on believing that our sacrifices are taking away our sins or at least appeasing God's judgment for another year. And let's not believe fully that really Jesus is the answer. So in other words, they're showing their lack of belief and understanding and fullness and reception of the gospel by them now going back to Jewish tradition and Jewish law and Jewish sort of understandings of the way someone becomes holy or righteous or being justified or made righteous before God. And he is, the writer of Hebrews is very keen on being like, you guys have to stop doing this because it is all Jesus, Jesus alone, none of your works, none of your sacrifices, none of your Jewish ways of doing things, none of any of anything you could possibly do will ever compare to the person of Christ Jesus and simple faith, dedication, and relationship with him. So that's what the writer of Hebrews is concerned about. So he starts it off by saying, therefore, verse one, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So in other words, he's basically saying, look, the elementary teachings about Christ are simply that we don't lay again a foundation of repentance from dead works. In other words, part of what you're doing is you're repenting from works that are dead because works outside of faith in Christ are totally dead. And he says, and of faith towards God. So he's like, look, we want to go deeper with you. We want to go deeper in maturity um, in, in basically what I just taught you. But then he goes, verse 2, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, because what he's saying is he like wants to go deep with them, but he keeps on having to go back and lay the simple foundational stuff. And he's like, this is what we really want to do. And he's not saying if God permits, like somehow God doesn't want us to do this. But what he's doing is he's trying to say if God permits, meaning he's trying to remind them again, this is about Jesus' sacrifice and it's about God. It's not about what we're doing and our sacrifices and, and all this other Jewish stuff. So that's why he gives this really stern warning. He says this, and this is where this whole lose your salvation craziness kind of comes in. He goes, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift. So let's say this, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened. So let's, let's use that as in probably what he means is like being enlightened. Like they understand the gospel. Like they have had the gospel preached to them, which definitely these people have. But remember, they, their main sin is falling back into trust in the Jewish system and out of trusting holy Jesus and him alone. So he says, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened or understood the sacrifice of Jesus, understood the gospel, at least in that way, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, 
So right there, have tasted, meaning they have actually walked in, at least in part, have tasted of the freedom, the heavenly gift, right? The gift, something you can't work for, have tasted the freedom that comes with simply believing and surrendering to Jesus. So they're not, it's a heavenly gift. They've tasted that. And having been made partakers of Holy Spirit, it's like, holy cow. Okay, so they have believed, they've they've tasted the freedom, and they have seen and experienced Holy Spirit, both personally, I would imagine, and in some way, the gifts. So maybe we're talking about tongues, healing, prophecy. I don't know exactly, but it sounds like that. So they've done that and have tasted the good word of God, and we're in verse 5, and the powers of the age to come. It's like the powers of the age to come, meaning like the age to come is the heavenly age. Like this is like the future age where the return of Christ that we all we all should be walking in, at least in part, at least in some way, um, as the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like Jesus said, it's here. They did all that. And then he says, and then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Now, here's where people go up. Oh, see, once people have you know, like, like, you know, repented and believed and walked and all stuff. But if they fall away, well, it's done. It's over. It's all gone. And I think there's a billion problems with that, but I hope you all have been listening since all the last five chapters. So that when we get to this one, this makes perfect sense because remember the writer of Hebrews is trying to confront this attitude that, or, or not attitude, well, sort of, but this like thing they're doing, which is putting their faith in something other than Christ. So when he says they, they have done all this stuff and then have fallen away, what does he mean by fallen away? See, people just are like, oh, I've fallen away. Like, what does that mean? Like you like sinned one time. That means you went back to Buddhism after you, you know, what does that mean? It, it, remember, again, have fallen away. In what way have they fallen away? Well, they've fallen away in the same way that he's been describing the, them falling away since the chapter one, which is they've fallen away in the sense that they have walked away from Jesus Christ alone and have added those Jewish uh, under the, the Jewish sacrifices and the Jewish religion to Christianity. He's equating that as having fallen away. And that's why he says it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. In other words, he's saying like, you cannot repent to Jesus under a Jewish system. Does that make sense? So what he's saying to them is this, like that you, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. So what he means is you cannot re- renew them to repentance in Jesus when you are believing in part in a Jewish sacrifice for your sins. So I hope that makes sense. I'll say it one, one more time. You cannot renew someone to repentance underneath a paradigm that is stating in some way your, uh, your, salvation, your holiness, your whatever is coming from somewhere other than Christ. So in other words, you cannot repent to Jesus under a Jewish system of understanding of salvation and sanctification. So that's what he's saying. That's why in the second half of that verse, he says, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God. See, they're crucifying to themselves, and it says, put him to open shame. Meaning they are like mocking basically uh, the sacrifice that that he gave by adding anything to it. So I hope you're hearing this because a lot of people now think they don't do this, but I hear this 
all the time in religious circles. It's like, I don't think it is meant to be said this way, but it's, it's kind of like, it's like you get saved, like salvation is somehow by grace, but then everything, everything else after you get saved is by your works. And it's just weird. And I see it all the time. It's like, okay, you got saved by faith, but now to stay in God's good graces, you have to pray a lot. You have to do all the right stuff. You have to read the word. You have to do all this kind of, kind of junk. Um, where, you know, that that's what they're doing, you know, is somehow adding something to that. And the reality is like n- none of your prayer, none of your worship, none of your Bible study, none of your good deeds have anything to contribute to your holiness at all or your salvation. That is all found in faith in Christ alone. And remember, it's because you're holy, you act holy. It's not you act holy to become holy. It's because you're holy that you walk in holiness. That's how the Bible works. That's how scripture works. That's how Jesus, what Jesus came to tell us and demonstrate for us. He wasn't, remember, he wasn't being holy to get holy. He already was holy and walked in holiness. So anyway, so that's why he says they crucify him and put him to open shame, right? They're shaming him by, by thinking something else is needed other than him. Then he goes on to give this like um, agricultural analogy. Verse seven, he says, for ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful um, to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. So in other words, he's just trying to say people, meaning the ground that drinks the rain, which falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful. So in other words, people who receive the gospel, who receive the purity of Jesus and his sacrifice alone, and they, they cut off everything but that, they receive a blessing from God. But then he says, but if it yields thorns and thistles, meaning you've gotten the rain, like you've gotten the actual proper gospel, but you're yielding thorns and thistles, meaning you're yielding performance, you're yielding works, you're yielding, um, in their case, like specific Jewish customs and things like that. He says that's worthless and close to being cursed and it ends up being burned. See, close to being cursed. You see that? It's like you cannot continue to believe that after understanding and receiving the fullness of what the gospel is, you cannot continue to believe that somehow something else saves you, somehow something else makes you holy, um, because you are close to being cursed. In other words, this is something you cannot do because it shames God and it brings forth thorns. And the whole idea is like, you think it because by performing this stuff, you're somehow going to produce more fruit. Um, If you're doing that stuff with a broken gospel in your heart, it actually produces thorns. Like you have, you have to do that stuff from holiness and then it produces the proper fruit. So I hope you're hearing and understanding that. Um, But even after saying all that, the writer of Hebrews says in verse nine, but beloved, we are convinced of way better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we're speaking in this way. In other words, he's like giving them a warning about not compromising on who Jesus is. But at the same time, he's like, but you know what? We don't actually feel that way. So (laughs) like, in other words, we actually believe in you guys. We don't think you're going to go that path. We think you're going to repent or basically is what he's saying. And verse 10, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name and having ministered and in still ministering 
to the saints. So it's basically just saying like, you are pouring out love. You're still ministering to other believers. Like, you know, God is not so unjust to be like, well, you're not, you didn't get it quite right. So you're cut off, you know? So he's just trying to, after giving them a warning and telling them the reality of how this whole faith in Christ thing works, he's like, you know, but we're convinced of way better things than you like than that. Like, we don't think that's really going to happen to you. And on top of that, then he just goes on to say, and God is so awesome. Like he's not going to just, we, we serve a just God essentially is what he's saying. In verse 11, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. And so he's saying, and we just want to make sure you guys understand that your your total holiness, sanctification, everything is found in Christ Jesus alone, and that you walk in it. In other words, the walking, as he puts out, is love shown towards his name and love shown towards people, which, you know, big shock. We have like two commandments in Jesus, love God and love people. And he says, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those, here we go, who through faith... <laughs> imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises faith and patience inherit the promises meaning it's it's totally through faith and the patience is waiting like understanding like none of your works are going to get the promises to come faster your works are coming because you're holy and because you are love incarnate in Christ Jesus but you need patience then <laughs> to wait for the promises so in other words the patience here is exercised by not putting your faith in a bunch of other stuff that you think you need to do, but full faith in Christ Jesus. So verse 13, then he says, for when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself (laughs) saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. So all he's doing is just giving an example that they would be very familiar with. They're like Father Abraham, right? The patriarch Abraham, he too was promised promises by God, and he also had to wait patiently for them. That's basically what he's saying. And verse 16, for men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given is confirmation is an end of every dispute. But in the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath. So in other words, what he's saying is, look, he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to say, like, look, the promises are ironclad. You know, so he's trying to say, if you'll just put your faith in Christ, all those promises are coming your way. Like, don't compromise your faith. Don't go back to your Jewish customs. Don't be afraid of the Roman persecution. He's like, none of that. If you'll just be patient, you must understand that these are ironclad promises because he's saying God swore these promises on himself, <laughs> swore swore by himself. So he's saying they are unchangeable. That's verse 17. Like they're unchangeable in verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things, meaning the, the promise of his purpose and God himself, in um, which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hope of the hope. Uh, I'm sorry, to take hold of the hope set before us. So see, the whole point is like, look, these promises are so ironclad that they're sworn on two unchangeable things, God's word or God's promise and God himself. (laughs) So he's like, these are the most strong promises ever. So stop compromising. Like, don't go back and believe on something, anything other than Jesus for your total faith. Don't go back to any practices or anything like that. Um, So he goes, this hope we have is an anchor for the soul. 
See, the hope completely rooted in Jesus, where it's none of your works, it is all of his, is an anchor for your soul. Meaning this is the anchor by which your soul will come back to and will begin to walk in that which is Christ. A hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil. Right. In other words, this is one who enters into the deep intimacy with Jesus, the veil that goes into the Holy of Holies, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And, and of course, um, next teaching on Hebrews 7, we'll talk about the order of Melchizedek. But anyway, this is the the end of the chapter. But I just want you to see how powerful he's basically saying. Like, he's, it's nothing to do about whether or not you can lose your salvation. It's all about how don't compromise on your faith because he gives him a stern warning about believing all of your holiness, all of your righteous, righteousness, all of your everything comes from Christ alone outside of works. And you cannot compromise that. And he's like, if you do, you're in danger. And then he says, but even then we're not, we don't really think this is going to happen to you because we're convinced of better things concerning you because God has made promises and all you need to do is wait and be patient and to keep your full faith in him. And I want to give that as a closing word to this podcast, this Hebrews chapter six podcast is believe fully, fully, fully in Christ. Examine yourself to make sure none of what you're doing is rooted in obligation or religious duty, but it's rooted in love expressed through faith. And also our faith expressed through love. And also um, that you just wait patiently. Once you've done that, the promises are coming. The promises are coming. The promises are coming, I promise you. So I will talk to you next week, and we'll talk about the Order of Melchizedek. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Unleash Ministries podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by an encounter with the Father's love poured out through His Word. If you would desire to bless this ministry financially, please visit www.unleashedchurch.org and click on the Give link. Thank you.